Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. All right, boys and girls, you should know where you are, and I hope to goodness you know who this is. This is Tyler Sheff, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Once again, I've got the man of the skies with me, Michael Marino. How you doing, man? Back on the ground. I'm back, back on the ground. <laughs> He's back. We need to have like a, a little jingle for you every time you come home. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, huh. you know, you can feel like that that hot shot walking in the door. Oh, like Mama hasn't gun, seen you. Well, top Gun playing right. when I walk in. Oh, there you go. That's probably a little bit of push, considering you're not in an F-18, you're in an Airbus. But you know, <laughs> man, you just oh, you just ruin the ego of every airline pilot out there. You know, it's still impressive. It's still impressive. <laughs> Don't be impressed. <laughs> it's a massive piece of chunk of metal that was never really intended to fly, and somehow you managed to get that thing off the ground, and more importantly, gently back on the ground without killing anybody. Usually, I'm, I'm more impressed about making money while sitting at home. That's true. Me too. <laughs> I will say though, the naval. The, I was at the uh, the air show this year in Key West, Blue Angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's pretty impressive. Those guys, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was just a lowly old MP in the army. I, it made me feel like my military time didn't even count. <laughs> <laughs> After that, oh. oh man, I tell you, those F-18s. My ego got busted when I took aerobatic lessons. Dude, I do not like being upside down, or at least my stomach does not like being upside down. Well, ironically, that leads right into the topic of this. Episode. <laughs> what, this the vomiting part or being upside down? Being upside down. <laughs> this week's episode, guys, is about overpaying for real estate, which does lead in a lot of cases to being upside down. And vomiting. And vomiting. <laughs> and a lot of tears. That's and right. probably some sort of grain alcohol potentially involved <laughs> as a cure, self-medication, if you will. Now, I don't mean to laugh if other folks are having a hard time. But there are what I'm seeing lately is a lot of folks got themselves in deals. Maybe they didn't get fixed rate financing, which is a form in itself of overpayment. And now kind of the chickens are coming home to roost. In a lot of markets across America, we've heard about rent increases across the board. And rent increases are increasing at such a rate. For example, in the Tampa market, rent increases have been on an average of 40% year over year. Denver, Colorado, out by you, Mike, 45, 50%. Colorado, as a state, leads the nation in the highest year over year rent increases over the last three years. That's great if you're a real estate investor, although. That's no longer great if your tenant base cannot afford your raised rent. And this week, we're going to talk about overpaying for properties or overestimating, or for that matter, underestimating expenses and income and how you get yourself out of that. Because make no mistake, there are a lot of people out there that have already made this mistake. I made this mistake years ago. It was a costly mistake, and I was able to recover from it. I feel that like the past few years, everybody's been wanting to get rentals. Which I think is a great thing. You know, they're listening to us, our podcasts, other sure. podcasts, YouTube channels. And unfortunately, a lot of people I know, they like to take shortcuts because they're used to, and I don't blame them, uh, buying stock, literally one-click investing. That's and right. this is not one-click investing. In fact, when you do buy a property, not only do you have to go through the motions with the realtor and the mortgage, blah, 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 but you also have to do your due diligence of what who's going to be living in here. 
is there going to be a time, a vacancy period where there's nobody living here and who's going to be paying those expenses? What expenses am I going to have? Right. So even though both of us love real estate investing because you get paid while you sleep, it takes a lot and a lot, a lot of homework to make sure you get a deal that will actually pay you while you sleep rather than rob your bank account. That's absolutely correct. And that begins, guys, with omitting expenses. In other words, you're doing a cash flow analysis and you may not allow for things like vacancy loss. I see a lot of people tell me, well, there's a shortage of rental housing. I'm not going to have any vacancy. That is absolutely false. You will have vacancy. If you're going to do any improvements whatsoever, there'll be vacancy. And when there's vacancy, you're also going to be on the hook to pay appliances. If you're in Florida, that means you're going to have an electric bill, a water bill. If you're in Colorado, you may not have the air conditioning on, but you're going to have the heat on. Oh, yeah. And if you don't have electric heat, Mike, you have gas heat, you're going to have a gas bill. Leaving those expenses out are going to mess you up. And, and especially the longer it takes to re-let the property, the worse off your deal gets. And I'm seeing a lot of folks wind up getting upside down. The other side of that I see and is underestimating the cost of specific ex- expenses. One of the things I love about our partnership, Mike, is that you love getting on the phone and grinding. And you're like a detective. You, you love tearing up the phones and figuring out how much was the bill last year? How much did they use? How much was it the year before? That's in your ball house, in your ballpark. That's in your, in your wheelhouse. I don't enjoy that process. You do. Prior to us partnering up on deals, there have been times that I would be a little lazy and I would take the bill the seller showed me at face value. And I wouldn't notice something like there were eight apartments and they only gave me the bill for one of them or one of the two buildings. So I was only looking at half the numbers. I got caught short on that once. Bought an eight unit or I'm sorry, a 10 unit building. There were five units in one building, 10 or five units in the other building. The water bill they gave me, and it wasn't, I don't believe now looking back, it wasn't malicious. The landlord was busy trying to scrape the papers together, you know, the type of folks that run their business out of a cardboard box of receipts. They handed me the water bill because that's what they put their hand on. What they didn't realize is that they have, or they didn't realize that they didn't give me both accounts. They gave me one account. So when I did my underwriting, I was way off on the, the water sewer garbage, which hurt. The good news is I was very conservative on the rent I thought I could charge. So I got lucky. That was pure luck. I was able to get much higher rent, in my opinion. So I was able to overcome that. But that almost got me in deep trouble because I could have been, it wouldn't have been a negative cash flow, but I wouldn't have been anywhere near where I needed to be. Uh, And I had an investor in that one. So I also obviously have that level of scrutiny that I want to make sure I'm doing a good job. Yikes. So even when you do your due diligence, you've got to double check what you're looking at. That's right. Mike Proforma is another one we... Recently, you ran into a version of that out there in Colorado when you're price shopping, you're dealing with brokers, sellers, whatnot. I remember some conversations you and I had when we were going through that process of a lot of the data that you were being fed wasn't necessarily accurate. It was more estimated. And I'm not saying, guys, that the real estate broker or the seller are flat out lying. I mean, that may be the case, but maybe they're guessing, oh, the power bill is about $200 a month. Well, it's about $200 a month <laughs> in September. But the, in, in, if it's Colorado in January, the bill is more like $500 a month. Uh, so that's one thing there that can get you in deep trouble. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot on pro formers when you, you look at the rent, they put in, oh, this is the rent you could charge. That's right. 
not exactly what it's actually producing right now. I ran into that when I was looking at that uh, that tenplex student housing in Fort oh, yeah. Collins. It was full of that. I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't look like the the lease you just showed me. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but this is what you what you can. So we want to show you how much money you could make. Which let me add a value add there. When I hear that, guys, then I always ask the question. And I'm a guy, Mike and I. You you see me in negotiations on several occasions. I always ask the questions that I know the answer to. There's a reason for that. I want to know, I want them to go through the experience of having to answer that question. And it's going to, in my, in my mind, it helps them start to devalue the property in the back of their mind. Here's an example of that. Uh, Using that, that example you just talked about the pro forma rent. Oh, it can do this. It can rent for, let's say, for example, right now it's renting for $800 a month. Oh, it'll rent for $2,000 all day long. Well, Mr. Jones, why isn't it renting for $2,000 then? Why did you not raise the rent? And here's the most important part. When you say that, your job is to not say another word until after they've answered that. Don't fill in the blank for them. Don't let them off the hook. Make them say what I almost guarantee they're almost always going to say is, oh, well, that's my uncle, or I didn't want to upset the tenant or whatever it may be. Because when you do that, now in their head, they're like, oh, it's not probably worth as much because the rent's so cheap. And I realize that not every seller will think that, but a lot of them will. This works really well with real estate agents, especially ones that have experience with rental properties. If they're investor-based, for example, you get a good multifamily or commercial broker that understands that low rent means low valuation. You don't usually get to just come in and change the curtains and double the rent. That doesn't work. Usually when somebody moves out, they leave it kind of a little messy. It needs paint. It needs floor coverings. It needs countertops. It needs fixtures. So, you know, you're going to spend a couple thousand dollars a door on the low side before you can re-rent it at close to market rate. So you have to think about that. That's why that pro forma really means I'm guessing. And with that, Mike, let's go down. Let's get involved in uh, ways to avoid the mistake. And the reason why I'm going to jump right into that, guys, is because a lot of you, including us, have made the mistakes. But let's do something that we don't normally hear. Let's talk about how we fix that. Yeah. And you know, the topic of today's podcast is overpaying. And how do you know if you're overpaying is if your income numbers aren't correct. So Tyler, earlier we were talking about market rent, right? We've heard, we hear that all the time. Well, of course, market rent is very uh local specific, not even just the city, but sometimes like the subdivision in the neighborhood. I don't, I'm not a realtor. I don't have access to the MLS. So how would you recommend myself, the listeners find out what is market rent? If I make it, you know, a a class B, a class B, what can I rent for? Multiple tools is the answer. Never, ever accept one data point as fact. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a service out there that I love. It's a service that you and I use all the time. It's called Rentometer or Rentometer, depending on who you're talking to. Um, it uses the advertising, the advertised rates for rentals in a specific area. It uses data points like Zillow, uh, Craigslist, Apartments.com, and it it adds all those together and then tells you what something has been advertised renting for. Are the numbers accurate? For the most part, they're in the ballpark. But sometimes it will give you unreasonably low or unreasonably high data because it's neighborhood or zip code driven. And it all depends on the power of search. It's gotten many very good over the years, but it's not at the end all be all. So I would call that data point A. Data point B is 
reach out to a property manager by the telephone and or three and ask the question. I have a duplex at 123 Anywhere Street. Give me the address. I'm considering uh, looking for a new management. What do you think ballpark, a two-bedroom, one-bath duplex would rent for in that neighborhood? They're going to want to give you the song and dance about they want to meet you out there and look at it whatnot. And that's all fine and dandy. You're going to come back and say, right, but I just need a ballpark. What's the range? What's the low end? What's the high end? I don't expect them and don't try to pin them down to give you a solid number because if they do without seeing it or at least seeing really, really good photographs, they're doing you a disservice anyway. But that'll give you a range, a high and a low, kind of just like rentometer gives you a high or a low. Another way I would do it is to literally call for rent ads. Go on Craigslist, go on uh, your local newspaper, your Facebook marketplace, and look for places that are being not only for rent, but rented, what's already been rented. And lastly, reach out to realtors. You know a realtor that sells houses, and you've maybe given them some business recently. Maybe you're buying it through a realtor. Ask them to pull the rented comps for that neighborhood of like-kind properties, two-bedroom, one-bath, if that's what you're renting. And that's a great way to get uh, real good numbers on that, Mike. You know, I, I smile when you mentioned call. Yeah. Because I, 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 I'm not a good actor. You know this. I'm not a good liar. But sometimes I just love making phone calls and pretending like I'm going to be the, the tenant, the renter, right? right? So I just look at places online or whatever. I find an ad and I call up. I play stupid. I, hey, I'm planning on moving to Las Vegas. Uh, what what's what does your lease look like? What does the rent look like? So you're gonna like you said, you're gonna hear the song and dance because they want you there. Sure. So then after that, I go to Google Street Views and literally virtually walk the street up and down, looking left and right, 306 degrees, and see exactly what neighborhood that particular rentals in because they're not going to tell you that. Oh yeah. By the way, we've got bars on the window. Oh yeah. (laughs) By the way, this trash on the sidewalk, we haven't picked up in three months. Just by going to Google street view, you could see, learn a lot about that property and then correspond that rent number that they gave you to what you're seeing then. And now it kind of makes sense because you can't compare class C to a class A or whatnot. Very true. I think you have to remember is, Although I'm sure the, the realtor that has it for sale or the seller that has it for sale or the wholesaler that's trying to flip you the contract has all the greatest intentions. Let's be honest. They are on commission mm. and we're on commission. We normally don't spend a lot of people don't spend a lot of time running around pointing out all the faults in whatever they're selling. Instead, their job is to talk about the features and the benefits. Uh, so the numbers that you're provided by those people, a lot of times they're not accurate. They're whether you call it embellished or flat out lies is what it is, but they're on commission. So they're, they're going to present everything in its best light. And you have to keep that in mind. So that is only one of probably four or five data points that I would consider when I'm figuring out rent amount. But that's um, also a good, good idea too. You mentioned commission. A lot of people don't think about, Hey, I'm going to flip this house or I'm going to hold it just for two years and then sell it. Now you got to pay the commission on it too. So it's if you look at the numbers, I'm going to sell it for an extra hundred thousand dollars. Well, you got right. to subtract the commission, subtract any marketing you have to do. Or a lot of people think forget this too. Hey, when I market it to sell it, I've got to redo the landscaping. It's got to look pretty again. And to bring it back up to that standard takes a lot more money than people think. That's right. A lot of property managers are going to charge, and this is something you need to figure. If you're going to lease up a property and you're going to hire someone to do it, there's a fee for that. It can be anywhere from half or all the first month's rent. It could be a portion of the value of the the lease, which is what I charge if I lease up a place for someone. I don't manage property guys, but I do find tenants for people from time to time. 
uh, especially down in Key West. And that number can be significant. I just did one where that my fee on that is almost $5,000. I take a piece of the annual lease. It actually is $5,000. It's like 5,000 and some change to match up a tenant, mm. to qualify the tenant. Um, that has to be factored into your cash flow analysis. Leaving that information out is good. The five grand is a big nugget uh, when you're talking about cash cash flow and expenses. So figure out how much it's going to cost you to lease up that property, what your advertising costs going to be. These are the things that are going to help you make sure you don't overpay. And that's where this ties into this episode is, you know, you can pay whatever you want to pay for a property, but you've got to make sure the facts that you know are, are that you're looking at or considering when you're coming up with your purchase price are accurate. And if you find inconsistencies, it is critical for you to make adjustments in your, your uh, purchase price for you to continue on with the deal. Mike, you just bought a house in Salida, Colorado. You were willing to pay a lot more for the house until you found things that the seller should have disclosed or should have reasonably known, but failed to disclose. Now, some people call that retrading. I call that not being a moron, being intelligent, because why should you bear the cost of what, $30,000 in repairs that needed to get done that the seller choose to not explain to anybody about for whatever reason? I'm not going to speculate, but Mike and Janelle do not need to bear the cost of that when the seller should have said, hey, this thing needs a sewer line. The sewer line's blown out. Uh, and I know this because I've had sewage in the house three times. Mm. You know, so you really go back and renegotiate and get those things done. Yeah. And again, that goes over to overpaying. Both of us really appreciate the work of home inspectors. They do a great job. But yes. They're not electricians. They're not plumbers. They're not roofers. So once you get the home inspection, look at it. And anytime they're iffy on something, bring in an electrician, a roofer, yes. some, a, a specialist. So, for example, uh, you know, Tyler's talking about my sewer line. My uh, the, the sewer flushed, the toilet flushed, and that's all that the home inspector noted. It flushes, right. the water goes down the drain. Because this my house was built in 1889, we brought in a plumber. Hey, let's just scope the sewer because I, I don't know how old the sewer line is. And when we did scope it, there was raw sewage going into the ground. All right. And once I threw up that red flag, then the seller, I got the seller's attention. I got a proper quote. And I knocked them down a lot based on the, the cost of that. Now, now it's up to me whether I'm going to actually fix it or not, which I did because I don't want to stuffed up uh, plumbing in the middle of the summer. Uh, but always kind of think outside of what the home inspector is doing. Consider the age. Let's bring in the professionals. And never take for face value someone who's not doing the job's estimate of what something will cost. Here are two examples of that. One example is that's not a big deal. It'll only cost about $500 to fix that. No big deal. Well, then you find out after you own the property that it is in fact a big deal. It's like a $5,000 or $10,000 big deal. The person that like the, the well-meaning home inspector or the well-meaning buyer's agent, realtor, or the well-meaning wholesaler, it's like, ah, it's not a big deal. How much could carpet cost? Well, the answer is depending on what you choose and where you're buying it and who's installing it, it could be a lot. It could be you know, $3 a square foot installed. I've seen and people pay twice that. That's a big number. On the flip side, sometimes there are some well-meaning people that tend to make a mountain out of a molehill. I just had a deal right now for a client of mine where the house has some foundation issues to it. Not a huge deal. You got a structural engineer out there. Structural engineer comes out there, tells the buyer that, oh my goodness, 
this could be $100,000 or more to fix. So what does the buyer do? They lose their, their marbles and want to get out of the deal. Come to find out, it turned out to be a $30,000 repair, not a $100,000 repair that the seller was agreeing to take care of prior to closing. So everybody relax, calm down. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to repair it with a licensed contractor with permits, and we're getting it signed off by a structural engineer. Anything that you find that an inspection, guys, can be dealt with. You don't have to panic and run and back out of the deal. It's okay to go in and renegotiate if the, if the cost of something like that, or if it should have been disclosed and it wasn't, I don't care about what these, a lot of these multifamily uh, brokers cry about, you know, that's retrading. No, that's not being an idiot, not being taken advantage of. If it's little nickel dime stuff like, oh, there's no GFI next to the sink or something, you should know that anyway. You walk into, I mean, how many apartments or properties you looked at? Most of them don't have it. Okay. I know that I'm going to have to replace those GFIs so that I can make this you know, a HUD property or whatever. Don't use that stuff. That is retrading, in my opinion, where you are intentionally getting under contract, take it off the market from other people, and then you're using piddly stuff to try to renegotiate the deal. That's underhanded. That's a whole different story. Um, vacancy, I think we talked about making sure that you allow for some vacancy. And for, for us, that's anywhere from 10 to 15% vacancy uh, during the market price. You got to stress test these deals, guys. You know, during COVID, people, a lot of people had big time vacancy or whether it be physical vacancy or economic. Speaking of which, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you leave in the comments down below. Tell us what your what you what you feel the difference is between economic vacancy work versus physical vacancy. Um, and that reminds me, Mike, we should probably tell them that we made some changes to the Cashflow Guys website that are pretty exciting. Yeah, now, when we, you go to our homepage, you got two options. You hit learn or earn. You're either there to learn or you're there to earn. And if you're looking and earn basically is tailored to for folks that are have capital that are looking to invest, we're going to be, we're building that piece out, the earn side right now. There's going to be lots of ways that you can put your money to work, the pros and cons of them. We're going to have some videos in there that are, are tailored to the earn side. Those of you that are looking at the learning side, we're going to have a lot of the components from my mailbox money course, private money, all kinds of articles and options and tips and things that you can opt in on. There'll be an opt-in option on both sides. I strongly suggest you opt into both because they're two different things. On the learn side, it's tips, Mike, that we're putting together. Um, that's Mike's project he's working on. Was it a hundred and some tips delivered by email? That's right. Yeah. That's going to be a home run. I'm excited about that. Frankly, I'll probably opt into that myself. <laughs> I'm getting old. I forget stuff. Uh, and then on the other side, we're going to be talking about monthly mistakes and where you're going to get an email once a month, not going to spam you uh, and send you a bunch of garbage, but legit mistakes that people make. And more importantly, nobody ever seems to tell you this part, how to fix them. Yeah. Because there's a solution for everything, which reminds me, let's jump into that segment right now and talk about how to fix some of these mistakes, Mike. You've Here's the situation. Mike, you've overpaid. You realize, whoops, you've overpaid, whether it be you didn't look, check the utility bills or you got excited in negotiations and just wanted to win, whether the dog was barking and had to go potty and you just had to end the negotiation quick, whatever it may be, you overpaid, you realize that you own the property now, you've already closed. Besides panicking, like they do in Wall Street, um, what do you do to solve the problem? Yeah. So this, I like talking about this because there's a lot of 
content YouTube out there and podcasts that talk about, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Well, a lot of people have done it. So let's, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I like talking about this. I've you already did it. Let's, how, let's, get my, my, let's get money out of it. So applying the greater fool theory, right? <laughs> we, we've all seen in the past two years, people are overpaying. People are outbidding each other, going way over list price. You could take advantage of that, right? Things are slowing down a little bit right now. So how do you still get the greater? How do you get a fool to buy it from you, get your money back or get a little bit more money? Well, relisting the property by doing some quick cleanups. Just get a landscaper out there, clean up the front, a painter, just something inexpensive, just to make it have more curb appeal. And do something that you, when you bought it, probably wasn't utilized as much as possible. And that's marketing. You know, Tyler, you and I keep talking about marketing is tremendous as far as if you're going to make money in real estate, you can't rely on just the MLS. So that's now right. if you take great professional photos, market it on Facebook, on YouTube with your friends, get it out there, get the, everybody excited about what you just purchased, you'll have a lot easier time getting what uh, either your money back, you'll probably get a little profit off of it too, because that marketing is something that people neglect all the time. 100%. Um, the easier something, you know, nobody can buy it if it's, they don't know it's for sale. I have over the years bought properties. And I still do to this day, I will find something that is misadvertised or unadvertised or not advertised. And I have closed on it, shined it up like a pretty penny, turned around, sold it for a mass upswing. I still do that to this day. I've been doing it for many years because here's the thing. Just because you stick something in the MLS with some lousy iPhone photos doesn't mean it's going to shine in its best light. The greater fool theory describes the entire house flipping business. That's what the house flipping business is all about, is that someone is going to value that house more than the person that is selling it at some point. And that's exactly the case. In many cases, guys, when you get into these situations, time is your best, your best defense. If you are in a position where you overpaid for something, let's say you just you bought a house, you realize you overpaid. In a lot of cases, the market, giving the, the market a chance to build your equity will help. I have taken properties off the market, sat on them. I've bought properties, sat on them for two, three months, relisted them back on the MLS and made myself six figures. All I did was empty the trash out. That's it. I have bought properties with title problems that scared the hell out of everybody else, closed on them in my name, cleared the title issues, got good quality title insurance to defend against the past. Which the reason why I do that, guys, is that makes the buyer, the new buyer, whoever buys it for me, feel good that they don't have to worry about skeletons in the closet because my title company and I have worked out these issues. Time is a huge, huge benefit in righting these wrongs, so to speak. Mike, you did change of use. And when you had like Melton Street, your St. Pete property, you bought a single family home, turned it into a little a cash cow for yourself. You want to shed some light on that? Yeah, I mean, everyone's familiar with short-term earnings. So if you overpaid for a property, change the use of it. So you can either short-term rent it, if that's allowed in that municipality. Right. Uh, everyone's cracking down on that. And everyone forgets that that's not the only change of use. We talked about assisted living homes. If you right. convert it into senior housing, it doesn't even have to be assisted living, honestly. Uh, what they call is independent living. You've heard uh, like 55 plus communities. Basically, it's a place for somebody who's uh, in the senior aged, affordable place for them to live. Right. Uh, where it's near 
uh, you know, a medical facility. And it's near and most importantly, other seniors. People will pay a, a premium to be around other people with their same needs or their same uh, their age, believe it or not. Just look at the Absolutely. villages in Florida. People pay a premium because they want to be literally right next door to like-minded people who are in the same situation they are. That's um, right. Other ways I'm doing in Las Vegas right now is provide uh, airline pilot housing. So as an airline pilot myself, in between flights, people d- don't think about it. I've got to pay my own way. I've got, I need to find a place to stay in Las Vegas for about 10 days next month on my own dime. So if there's... There are ways, like right now I'm doing, I'm converting single-family houses into uh, what I'm pretty much renting each bed. So uh, Pilot Jane has her bed that she paid for a month. That's hers. Well, if you add that up to people per room, you can increase your monthly income by a lot by catering to things other than just a long or even a short-term rental. You got to think outside the box. Not everybody's has a place next to an airport, but maybe your place has something special that you can realize and get reuse and, and higher income out of it. Right. Guys, and there are times, for example, we just completed a bunch of training in the assisted living industry. And throughout that period of training, what Mike and I and Jill all learned is they preach that in the assisted living space, the these operators really can't overpay for the real estate. Yeah. There is so much profit there to be had. And the once you could, if you could have the ability to secure the infrastructure, the demand is so great in the assisted living space that within reason, you really can't overpay for these properties. So for us looking as landlords, you know, we're averaging, you go buy a property and let's say it can hold 10 beds. You can pretty much plan as the landlord, not the caregiver, the landlord to get on the average of between, a, and this is market dependent, but between $1,000 to $1,400 per bed per month. So if you've got a 10 bed facility and you're getting $1,200 per bed, you're like, that facility is licensed for 10 beds. That can begin as a three bedroom, two bath house remodeled into a 12 or 10 bed facility, rather at $1,200 a bed, that's 12 grand a month rent guys. So if you go lease a property and make these minor modifications, Mike, like what you're doing. I love your model because you're really not even doing any renovations. You're putting a divider up in an existing bedroom, putting a twin bed because you're not having mom and pop stay there. It's just Jimmy the pilot and Pete the pilot in the same room with the divider up. They go in, the lights are already off. They go to bed, they wake up, and then they get on the plane and they fly across the country to do their thing. Mike, you're going out and you don't even really have to negotiate a discount on rent. Because you can control the profit by simply saying to the pilots, hey, guys, last month I spent $1,000 a month in hotel rooms. And that's if you stay in the lousy ones that you have to probably be armed to to sleep well in. The decent ones, you probably would spend $2,000 a month, maybe $3,000 a month. Well, when you can go to the pilots and say, hey, for six, $700 a month, how about you can have your own space that's your rack, that's your bed, nobody else is going to sleep in. That's a home damn run right there. Yeah, man, it's getting me excited. So anybody out there, you're interested in learning more about how to change the use? Because a lot of these things people don't think about. The pilot housing, a lot of people don't think about. It's just a living you don't think about. And that's why I think everybody starts panicking if they overpaid and the negative cash flow. That's so right. if you got any questions, need any help, some ideas, feel free to you know contact us at cashflowguys.com. We'll be happy to get on a call with you and kind of run some ideas uh, off of you and your situation, lo- location. There's always 
there's always opportunities to make more money on a particular asset. You just have to honestly bounce it off friends. And we'd like to be your friends. And with our experience, maybe we can help you out. There you go. Lastly, the, well, the last thing I want to bullet point I want to hit here is you can always add square footage or add amenities to the property to garner more income. A good example of that is right now in the Tampa Bay area here in Florida, on average, most of the contractors I talk to tell me it's it costs somewhere in the neighborhood of around $235 to $250 per square foot to build an add-on. Maybe you have a two-bedroom house, you're going to make it a three-bedroom house or a three-bedroom house of four. Maybe you're going to convert a garage, whatever it may be. But the important thing to note here is the value of the home per square foot is much higher than it, the cost to build it. So if the cost to build a, a converted garage is say $225 for a, square, for a 100 square foot garage, well, if that increases the value by 100 square foot, that's a $10,000 value add right in your pocket, right out of the gate. I mean, you start adding bedrooms, it goes on up from there. So you can recover from a bad deal simply by getting some concrete blocks and a contractor that has a clue to go out there, pull permits, do an addition. I know that sounds counterintuitive because, geez, Tyler, I already you already said I overpaid for the property. I sunk too much money into it. Yeah, but and you're telling me that spending more money, investing more money in this property is going to actually make me money. And right now, at the time of this recording, May 18th, 2023, that is absolutely true because the cost of construction is lower in the Tampa Bay market than the cost, than the value per square foot. That's going to vary from market to market. You're going to, have to do your own independent research. Don't do what I do, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah. And, and that reminds me, in addition to this, what if you can make a single family house that you overpaid for into a duplex? You got questions about that? ADUs. Our last episode last week, we went out and we talked with the ADU guy about how to literally make a single family house into a duplex with their mother-in-law and suite in the back. Which is legal just about everywhere in the country, he told us. Just yeah. about, I, I've, I've lately become a, a, a student of Florida Building Code and Florida Municipal Code because we're going through that with our first assisted living facility. Uh, and one of the things I learned is that most single family zoning allows for the property to be utilized as a two family. Mm-hmm. That's a fact that varies from market to market. So, you know, you need to check your own zoning, but go down and talk to your local planning and zoning. They're extremely helpful and they're there to help. So any last thoughts, Mike, before we wrap up? You know, talking about how to fix it all. If you overpaid for your property, give us a call. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I we want it now. It. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We'll figure out how to make money with it. Just, just let Uncle Tyler and Uncle Mike have the keys. We'll be all set. That's right. <laughs> Near an airport? Bonus. <laughs> how close to the airport are you? <laughs> Oh, my, my, my. All right, guys, we're going to leave it right there. We hope you have a great week. We will see you back next week. We've got all kinds of good stuff this summer in store for you. Um, I'm pretty excited about it, Mike. I know you're excited about it. Guys, head over to cashflowguys.com. New website is coming out. It's about half done right now. We already got one side of it built out. The second side of it will be coming here really, really soon. And uh, send us some feedback. Email us, info at cashflowguys.com. Let us know what you think about it. And uh, we will catch up with you on the very next episode.